Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on WORTFM.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab my mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Good afternoon, Madison. You are listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. And today we are talking about Odyssey Behind Bars with two people who are near and dear to my heart. Um, A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to meet a handful of folks at Oak Hill Correctional and help them workshop stories that they would be telling at their graduation ceremony with Odyssey Behind Bars. This was my, I want to say like fifth or sixth semester. I feel like I've been doing this since around 2019, but the pandemic makes it hard to remember when exactly we got started. Um, and and it was, you know, it's always kind of, um, it like blows you away to listen to people's stories and listen and people are so generous with like their lives and their experiences. Odyssey Beyond Bars is a college jumpstart program for students incarcerated in Wisconsin State Prisons. They are part of the UW Odyssey program. My guests today are Peter Monero and and Kevin Mullen. And I'm sorry if I said your last name wrong, Peter. Peter, Peter, will you say your name for us, please? It's it's Peter Moreno. Peter Moreno, my bad. Thanks for having (laughs) us on, Ellie. Peter is the creative director of Odyssey Beyond Bars. He is an attorney and formal clinical law professor at the University of Wisconsin and University of Washington, where he represented incarcerated clients in wrongful conviction cases. Kevin Mullen is an assistant professor of continuing studies and the director of adult education for the UW Odyssey program. He is also an instructor of introduction to college writing for incarcerated students in the odyssey behind bars program how are you doing today kevin i'm doing great ali it's so good to see you how are you doing how are you doing peter i'm really i'm having a great time um getting ready for this interview and very excited to be here so thank you very much so i usually get to see folks perform their stories i missed the most recent ceremony because i had a, a sick kiddo what what do you love about like kind of the difference between semesters? What came up for you as you've watched folks do this over and over and over again? Um, what what continues to inspire you about working with folks who are incarcerated um, and helping them to tell their stories? And Kevin, I'm going to start with you. Sure, that's great. Uh, you know, each semester is a little bit different. You notice different themes that emerge as the roughly 15 guys get up there and tell their different stories. Uh, This year, I was really surprised at how many students talked about being a father and trying to be a father while currently incarcerated um, and about the challenges and struggles and things that come up that they want to be able to involve themselves in and yet the distance in between themselves and their and their kids. Um, So you can get a wide range of stories every year. Some are funny, some are you know, really endearing stories about a childhood mistake or um, some of them are really hard hitting as well about the different uh, life events that have led them to where they are in their lives. And also about some of the things that um, that they've come that they've overcome in the process. So it, it really can be from sad to exciting to funny. The whole range of stories every year is just a little bit different. Um, and and it's it, it's also just really exciting to see all 15 guys get up there and tell their stories, right? Because we've been preparing for it all semester. They're nervous. They're really nervous getting up there. And yet they grip that lectern and they tell their stories to an audience of somewhere between 30 and 50 people, depending on the semester. So it's such a fun event. I love doing it. Oh, Kevin, it's so obvious, like in working with you, how much you you love this work and you love the people that you teach. Um, Peter, I, I think about, you know, how deeply humanizing storytelling is. 
And then the contrast between that and incarceration. Um, in so many ways, incarceration is kind of the erasure of a person's story. It boils their life down to kind of the worst thing they've ever done, the worst hour they've ever had. Um, and they're defined by that, sometimes for decades, sometimes for the entire remainder of their lives. Um, how, how do you kind of make space for, for both the idea that this is a person that our society has deemed um, unfit for the general population um, and, and also that these are, are people who, who have really beautiful and compelling stories and lives that go far beyond um, the reasons they're, they're incarcerated? I think that's a really interesting tension there, Ali, that you really put your, your finger on. Um, the prison environment is not one that is typically conducive to feeling human. And it's, it's constructed like that intentionally. Um, and the folks inside who are living in prison often really struggle to find opportunities where they can feel like human beings and they can feel like they're part of a society, part of a community. Obviously, the construct of prison is, uh, is one that rejects the individual, isolates the individual. And what we feel like we're providing in offering education is an opportunity to step away from that environment a bit, at least mentally, and feel like you are human. You do have a voice. You do have something to express. And you can relate to other your peers and other folks uh, who share your interests. And what what Odyssey Beyond Bars and what Kevin does so magically, I think, in the classroom, is just provide an opportunity for that that sense of communities to where people really can feel like they can offer their voice and have it be heard. Kevin, I think of you as probably one of the most tender educators I've ever worked with, like one of the most deeply loving people to ever kind of facilitate a classroom space. Um, and I and I think about, you know, what what that means within the context of of incarceration in which tenderness and, and kindness are not readily available to people on a regular basis. Um, do, do you think that you kind of have to shift your practice as an educator to accommodate a space um, where people have a lot of relationships to intense trauma? Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. First of all, thankfully, we're on radio because I just blushed a lot right there. But <laughs> thank you, Ali. That's very, that's very sweet of you to say. Um, yes, um, I think... One of the things I try and model in the classroom is that, you know, on the, okay, let me just start with the very first couple days of the, of the semester. When the guys come in there, there is a certain uh, kind of front that they're all presenting, right, which is that they are used to presenting in their everyday lives within the prison system, right? So where they don't quite share things that make them seem vulnerable, um, where they don't maybe share too much of an emotional response to things. Um, it's a lot more of like who, what, where, and when, and a little bit less of how that made that person feel or how they responded to it. So when I enter the classroom, it takes them a while to warm up to me and to each other uh, to start to share that process, right? To start to show a few cracks in that facade, right? So one of the things that I make them, not make them do, that I ask them to do uh, right from the beginning is to not only do a lot of writing, but to then share that writing and read it out loud in class. And I think what that allows to happen is that then people respond to that writing. You know, the other, their classmates respond. They say, wow, I really like how you said that, or, oh, I didn't know that about you, or, it, it opens up a lot of spaces within the kind of community that might not exist outside of that classroom. And I've heard that from a lot of students by the end of the semester when they've said, you know, for those three hours or those two and a half hours in, in class, I didn't feel like I was in prison. I didn't, I didn't feel some of the same tensions I feel in my everyday life. I felt like I could open up more. I felt like I was in a community that was a lot warmer. Um, to me and, and, and to the work that I'm doing. So I think that that's, that's a really important thing and it's a, hard, it's a hard sell, right? Because at the beginning, I think especially in a men's prison, it's difficult to share your kind of emotional life with, uh, with the other members of the class. But after you know, 15 weeks of just doing it again and again each week, things start to happen and they start to really connect to each other. And one of the best things that I love to see in the final uh, storytelling event is, that, is how much they support each other as they get up there and do the stories. They know how hard it is because they too are getting up there with five minutes and an audience, right? But they also know each other so well from the class that they, they really just support each other beautifully. So that's one of the things I enjoy the most. 
You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. And today we're talking about Odyssey Behind Bars, which is uh, an opportunity for incarcerated folks to earn college credit um, while they're incarcerated. And and we're talking with folks who get to work directly with Wisconsin's incarcerated population. When I think about my experiences in in coming into these classrooms, um, I've met some really beautiful people, um, some really thoughtful, sweet, kind folks. And it's hard to imagine why they would be incarcerated. And at the same time, I have thought about what it means for for somebody who has been harmed by one of these people um, to see these these folks have this kind of opportunity. And I've, I've made space in myself to really think about the complexity of, of wanting what's best for incarcerated populations um, and also thinking about how our society doesn't really invest well in people. So if you're thinking about somebody who's the survivor of gun violence who ended up, you know, paralyzed and maybe they don't have the opportunity to go to to college for free, but the person who shot them does, um, there's something really hard about that. Talk to me a little bit about what what it means to make space for this opportunity for incarcerated populations when it's not an opportunity for for most people to to get to go to higher ed um, for free. Yeah, it's a question that we get sometimes and that we think about quite a bit. And it's it's a good question. And in terms of social equity and balance, I think that it's an important question to ask. Uh, I think what we have to do, first of all, is take a look at our correctional system and decide why we're imprisoning people and what corrections means. And I think that there, there are obviously a lot of different views on that topic, what the, the purpose of incarceration should be. But I think one thing generally people can agree on is that at the end of that term of incarceration, we hope the incarcerated individual comes out and makes better choices, doesn't go out and commit more crimes, doesn't go out and hurt more people. Again, I think there are different theories about what could lead to that outcome. Uh, but I think that we're all hoping for that. And so when we, if, we're, if that's the end goal, then we look backwards, well, how does incarceration need to occur for that to happen? Uh, I think there are certain, there's a certain school of thought that says the, the, the punishment value, the deterrence is going to be enough to deter future behavior and that we should make prisons as tough and hard and uh, merciless as possible. So it, it increases the deterrent value. Uh, that that doesn't seem to have given us the ends that we were hoping for these past 20, 30 years on the t- uh, throughout the tough on crime era. In fact, our incarceration rates have continued to climb. And what we're seeing in particular is is a lot of folks going through their prison term and then within one or two or three years after they re-enter their communities, they are rearrested for a new crime or another violation, they wind up back in prison. And there are lots, lots of reasons for that. There's uh, issues around extended supervision and um, you know, policing, and it's very complicated. Uh, but ultimately what we're finding is people are going out and committing new crimes because they are not properly prepared for success. Yeah, I mean, I want to push back on that a little bit because I'm really I'm not a fan of the idea um, that people commit crime because they're they're poor or because they don't have access to education. Um, I think that America uh, has a lot of really rich criminals. I think that, you know, Donald Trump has been accused of sexual assault 16 times. I think we live in a society where it is easier to be rich and guilty than to be poor and innocent. Um, and that's, that's not me. That's Brian Stevenson. Right. But I very much agree with what he was saying. Um, every time I go into a jail in Wisconsin, every time I've worked with Odyssey behind bars, the majority of the people I'm working with are black. Right. So 
the idea that you get arrested for crime in Wisconsin, um, Wisconsin's about 6% black. We have about 40% black prison population. For me, it feels like you go to prison for being black in our community. Um, feels like it's hard to get a job in our community if you're black. It feels like it's hard to get an education in our community if it's black. It's hard to get housing if you're black. Um, so, so crime as why people are incarcerated is something I really struggle with. Kevin, can you can you talk a little bit about what it's been like for you to to you know examine the 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 reasons people end up incarcerated and what you think our incarcerated population needs? Well, first one one thing that I I purposefully don't do when I start each semester is I do not do the research to find out what the students in my class what what they have done in the past. Right, I I, I am not. I, I want to take them from that particular moment where they have made the decision to take a risk and to take this class where they a lot of them come in incredibly uh, lacking in confidence in terms of their ability to succeed at the college level. And I want to start them right then and there and then move forward, because I think the best way for for any individual who's not quite sure where they're going, what they're doing in their lives is to start from that point and looking looking at the future and starting to get excited for what that future might hold, right? So I spend a lot of time in the class. Yes, students are more than welcome to write about the past, and they do in a lot of uh, the different essays. But in general, I like to I, I like to get them from the perspective of, because so many of them are so focused on what they have done in the past that they are not making time to plan for that future. And so I try to take them from that point and go forward and to think about the different things that they might be able to do if they were to be able to pursue different uh, goals or dreams that they have, the kinds of things that they could do when they get out. Um, so I'm much more interested in like taking them at that moment and just thinking about where they can go from there. Peter, do you do you think about kind of the the racial composition of our incarcerated population and not what that says about incarcerated people, but what that says about us as a community? We spend more on incarceration in Wisconsin. I learned this by hanging out with y'all. We spend more on incarceration than anything else in this state, in the state of Wisconsin. Peter, what what have you learned about who we are as a state in terms of our investment in incarceration? It's not it's not a pretty picture, Ali, as you alluded to, especially racially. Uh, Wisconsin is one of the worst states in the country for its incarceration rates of black men in particular, one of the worst states in the country for our incarceration rates of native men also. Uh, we, we have deep, deep problems here. And um, in certain communities in Wisconsin in particular, uh, communities of color, incarceration uh, has become normalized. Um, you, we talk to, to young men in some of these neighborhoods, and it's not a question of, of if, but when they are going to be incarcerated themselves. I completely agree with you, Ali. There is a certain inevitability in some of these communities about incarceration. And um, when I see that, it really makes me sad. I'll just, I'll be blunt about it. I feel like uh, incarceration is, in my mind, one of the most extreme um, things society can do to an individual. I feel like uh, the cruelty imposed on a person through separation from their family and loved ones is something we don't appreciate enough in this country, this country that presumably values liberty so highly. So we take it away from people with with uh, sometimes inadequate process. And um, I think we need to uh, take deep looks at uh, some of our communities of color, um, involving the communities of color themselves and involving formerly and currently incarcerated folks themselves, which are too off, who are too often uh, excluded from the conversation and talk about what are the roots of these issues? How can we address these issues? Why do we have such terrible disparities? Why do we have such economic disparities in our cities? We can be doing things about them. We just, we, we to date, um, aren't doing enough, in my opinion. 
Before we like really deep dive into this conversation, and Peter, I really appreciate that answer. I think the idea that we're not doing enough is really complicated because of how much we're spending, right? We are spending so much on incarceration and are we getting the results that we want? And also what is the quality of the experience a person has when they're incarcerated? And I think that that is a complicated question because I think people don't want incarcerated folks to be comfortable. They don't want incarcerated folks to have um, a sense of quality of care. We have been, I think, trained and conditioned in a lot of ways to think people who are incarcerated deserve to be incarcerated and they deserve, you know, the worst this world has to offer. Um, and I think like what I have learned in in seeing these these folks tell their stories is there there is no human being that isn't worthy of compassion and love. Um, and and I I, I want to bring our amazing producer Jade on because she's also a, a storyteller and her and I have both gone into prisons um, and and done this work with Odyssey Behind Bars. Jade, do you want to kind of chime in a little bit about? what it has meant to you to enter these spaces or what your experience in, in teaching storytelling has been like with incarcerated folks. Hey, Ali. Um, actually, since you turned the mic to me, I actually want to bring our caller on first. We have a caller, a different Peter on the line. So, Peter, I'm going to let you get in with your answer, and then I'm going to tell you about my experience um, also. So, uh, Peter, caller, you're on the line. Thank you so much. Hey, Ali and the other Peter. Uh, fantastic show and Ali it's amazing you really are approaching it from both sides of the coin I understand the victim's feelings but I also understand the incarcerated person's feelings and the reality is when you said earlier um, when the when the victim says hey how come I don't get to college get to go to college and an incarcerated person does in a country as wealthy as the United States that should never be the dichotomy both people should be able to go to college the person who's the victim should be able to go to college for free and the incarcerated person should be able to turn his or her life around and also have an education. And I just want to make a quick plug for, I know you guys already know the organization, but I used to volunteer for um, Expo Wisconsin, which is trying to get back the right to vote uh, for felons uh, in Wisconsin. And uh, I just want to point out one very important thing that was said to me that one day. I, w I was volunteering at the office, and one of the gentlemen from the group said to me, so Peter you like working with ex-felons? And I said to him, you want to know something? I'm an ex-felon who didn't get caught. I happen to be white. And there were many, many times in New York City when I was growing up where I was carrying heroin and I was committing a felony. But the cops weren't looking for a white kid like me. They were looking for black kids in the neighborhood. And so the way you become an incarcerated person, the way you become a felon or an ex-felon is really so disjointed in this country too so i really would love everybody to try to support expo wisconsin if you have any time or money to do so and thanks for a great show um peter we love you like you <laughs> call anytime you are welcome we want to interview you we're gonna have to book you but thank you for for saying that with such clarity and vulnerability and i don't i feel like i don't hear that often from um white folks like admitting like i've done things that could have landed me in prison and i didn't get caught because i'm not the kind of person who is profiled for crime on a regular basis the police weren't um constantly in my neighborhood um the street I grew up on weren't being patrolled in the same way. And even if they were, nobody was looking for me. Jade, do you want to you wanna talk a little bit about what it's meant to, to work with incarcerated folks for you? And thank you so much for making sure we got to hear from Peter. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> I'm a producer first and foremost. You know, I got to get our callers on when they make the opportunity to, or when they make the, um, the decision to call us. But I had the great opportunity, so not... Um, last Wednesday and then the Wednesday before both times I had the chance to um, go up to Racine and the first week I got to sit with my little group of I had three students um, and we they had come up with a story and they had they had attended a workshop from um, a really great storyteller based out of Chicago named Nestor Gomez is that Nestor's last name Peter I think that's I think it's right yeah Nestor okay cool I'm good um Nestor had had really walked everyone through what the beats of a story are and and told a couple stories himself. He's a really fantastic storyteller. Um, 
and sort of set everyone loose on, you know, work on your story this week and come with a rough draft. Um, and maybe Kevin, once we once I move on, you can talk how, how important the revision um, cycle is with this class. But, you know, come with a rough draft and you're going to workshop it in a small group. And so this is the first time I'm meeting um, the folks in my group and um, they all three of them told, you know, really great stories and sort of different different ranges of one fleshed out some of them were like okay I don't know what your story is you're I got you so many good details but what's the story or like oh this story is ready like get up right now and just tell the story to the class this is more thought out than the story that I have ready to prepare to, to tell in front of the class um and uh and then ranging from like different topics right so like one topic was very much like the most um you know as vulnerable as I can get with my family because we have this like deep trauma that we're all experiencing as children and and the stories about that deep trauma and that harm or you know a story about I stole my brother's car and um was you know talking to this girl in his car and then his car broke down while he didn't know that I had his car right just totally different ranges of the human experience um but also worthy um and then it's so funny because then two weeks later you, or a week later you get to come back and hear how they took that small group, um, those suggestions we, uh, and see how they, they brought it together to be the story that they told to the group. You got to see what parts that you're like, yeah, you totally delivered that in the way that I like, su suggested you did. Um, and um, you got the laugh that I was hoping you would get um, is another, another big thing. Um, but yeah, it's a really great experience. Yeah. Jay, do you do you see yourself in the people that you're working with? Do you imagine like what you would want from a teacher if you were in that kind of situation, if you were incarcerated? Like how how do you inform your approach to to working with folks and and telling your own story? Yeah, well, so I think this is part of the the beauty of that classroom, right? So um, in Racine, the instructor is Dr. Dana Oswald, um, who is a professor at um, Riverside, is that? Parkside, at Parkside. Um, and she creates this beautiful classroom that is just so vulnerable. Everyone is already there. Like, they trust each other. They're willing to tell a story about, you know, a horrible game that they used to like their dad used to inflict on them as children, you know, just ready to have that conversation um, in that space, which, you know, I don't think would necessarily happen if we were just going in um, to tell a story with, you know, a, a random group of 25 students. Um, so it's the, the, the room is already set up in a level of respect and vulnerability and um, like I, I said, I'm going to have Kevin go into, but uh, a level of like, yeah, your first work isn't your best work. We're just all here to make it better. Um, and I think ultimately, as someone who's leading a, a small group of listening to a story that someone has drafted and needs feedback on is um, I... I'm not judging the content of the story, I guess. Like, I'm not trying to say that, like, whatever experience you had is so shocking to me or is something so alien from me. You know, I just want to help you tell the story that is your truth and, and give you the feedback on... Um, give you the feedback on what are the moments that really like touched me? What are the moments I had questions about? And what are the moments that you spent too much time on? We don't, we don't need to know this detail, right? Like I'm just, I'm just giving you that, that feedback. And so I don't think it was any, I don't think it was any different than doing a, a storytelling workshop on the outside with the caveat that it would probably, it's probably better, right? The, the level of that class and the level of vulnerability and the level of respect um, that my like small group had for each other is probably better than if I was just on the outside with um, three random people who were workshopping stories. Yeah, I think it's amazing how much reverence folks have um, for one another's experiences within an incarcerated setting. And I think the other thing that's really 
kind of fascinating is how those stories and those people stay with me. And so Jade, listening to you talk about like your examples, like somebody got up and told a story a few years ago about loving their grandma so much that they got a Jerry curl to look like her. And I just, this image of like this eight year old boy and his grandma, like at the barber together, getting Jerry curls so that he could match her. Like that brings tears to my eyes whenever I think about it. I could cry right now. It's just like so deeply loving and not what you expect um, in that space. If you're just joining us, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. And today we're talking about Odyssey behind bars. It's, Thanks it's, to my- wait, um, Ali, it's beyond bars, which I think is an important distinction in um, in the naming of of the organization, right? So it is, we are behind bars in the, in the classroom, but it's actually beyond bars. Beyond bars. My bad. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, and, and we're talking about it with Kevin and Peter who are both working with, you know, have, have been working with this project for a, a significant amount of time. Kevin, when you're thinking about who you're going to bring into the classroom, mm-hmm. and this is kind of a like, why did you pick me and Jade? Um, why, who, what are you looking for in folks who are going to come in and share their stories and, and do this coaching work? What, what do you all try to cultivate in, in the folks who staff um, this educational opportunity for incarcerated people? Well, first of all, great storytellers, right? You know, I mean, so I, I rely a lot on Jen Rubin, who has been, you know, working with the Moth and producing Moth uh, shows every every month here in Madison and uh, works with the Wisconsin Humanities Council. And she has a terrific network of storytellers. So, but outside of just that, that uh, blanket ability to be able to get up and tell a story, I'm always looking for people who are great listeners and who are really encouraging to other people who can hear the stuff in a story that uh, that a student can then build from. You know what I mean? So it's not about I think sometimes the students are, are a little bit nervous and overly conscious of mistakes and they think everything they're doing is just off. But to be able to figure out what is working, what they can kind of hang their story on, you know, is so essential for, well, really for any writer, I mean, to be honest with you. But so to find a group of people who can come in with energy, with enthusiasm, with strong listening skills, and then can help that student figure out what's really working in their story is is, is what makes it work. And I love what Jade said about, you know, kind of just, just being there as a sounding board of just saying, here's what I'm hearing that I really love, that I connect to, because... Sometimes the writer doesn't know that that's a great part, you know? They just they think they think it all sucks. But actually there are some great things going on in there and they just need somebody to show them, you know, what those parts are. So, I'm always looking for anybody who brings in warmth and energy and a sense of humor and good listening skills. Yeah. Peter, when you think about, you know, what you hope Odyssey behind uh, beyond be, behind Beyond, I can't say it now. <laughs> um, when you think about what you hope this program achieves for for the folks who experience it, do you ever get to kind of glimmer into um, what folks use this education for, if and when they are released from prison? Um, so, so have you gotten to follow up with former students and and see, you know, how they're how they're doing and what this means for them, and if it allows for them to be better prepared to be successful upon release. I appreciate really the uh, the caller, uh, Peter, who called in and plugging Expo because uh, the, the concept of reentry and connecting with folks through the reentry process uh, is really important for our program. So we do follow up with students after they leave prison or uh, if they leave a facility where we operate and, and are going to a different facility. We do like to maintain contact with those folks to hear how they're doing and keep uh, encouraging them on their academic journey. We're relatively new, so we don't have a a huge number of graduates, uh, but we are finding that a large percentage of our graduates are going on to take more college classes. And that is quite an achievement uh, for the program and for all the instructors. The Odyssey focuses in the prison system in and generally in the community uh, on students, frankly, who are not 100% sure they belong in a college classroom. And uh, instructors like Kevin, Jen Fandel, um, Dana Oswald work with these students um, very deliberately and in a way that encourages them to uh, establish their sense of voice 
to where they can get to the point at the end of that semester where they feel like they're part of a learning community and education is really turning them on and they're excited about more. So the fact they're going off and, and doing um, more college is great, but you know, really it's about, it's about giving the student the opportunity to see themselves in a different light, to see themselves as a learner with hopes for the future, um, academic and career goals starting to, to line up um, and making sure they have the opportunities to, to go all, as far on that journey as they want to. I love that answer so much, Peter, in part because you're talking about people changing their relationship with themselves, but you're also talking about folks changing their relationship with education. And for me as an educator, um, I, I can't help but like look at our, our incarcerated population in Wisconsin and connect the dots between the way our school system is failing folks um, and, and what ultimately becomes the population that ends up incarcerated in our, our community. Kevin, I think, you know, in working with you, I have I've become incredibly aware of how you know, skilled you are at modifying curriculum, um, how good you are at making people feel comfortable with the, the diverse kind of learners that you have. You really have folks who are working at a lot of different levels and have real different relationships with their own intelligence and capability. Um, talk a little bit about what, what that is like. And, you know, I think there is the stereotype that when folks are incarcerated, they are not particularly intelligent or brilliant or capable. Um, when I work with you, it feels so obvious that everybody is brilliant and intelligent and capable. How, how do you cultivate that within yourself? And how do you customize a class where you really do have folks who are at different you know, are, are at different spaces with their learning, have really different needs in terms of their, their comprehension and abilities. Um, what, what is that like for you as an educator? Well, first of all, great. That is a great question because everybody is at a different level. And I, I think, first of all, I do have, I do, I, I am an actual believer that everybody does, everybody is brilliant, right? They do have these skill sets and uh, these ways of, of communicating their thoughts and experiences that can just blow people away. So I, I firmly believe that there is brilliance in every single one of those students. And the other thing that I think that we do with Odyssey Beyond Bars um, and that we also do in our community classes is we have a strong tutoring network uh, where we basically on a, a day that's not class, students can come in and we have a team of like four different writing tutors who go into the prison and, um, and this is run by Jen Fandel, who is absolutely brilliant at this. She's been running our tutoring program since we first started back in 2019. And each one of those tutors can then meet that student where they are, right? Can figure out what it is that they are, are trying to do, where they're finding obstacles, what, what's getting in the way, and help them move beyond those obstacles confidently, right? Um, that one-on-one -on -one or small group work can play a huge role in how each student sees themselves going forward, right? They, they start to then see the, the brilliance that other people see in them, you know? So, it's, it's something that I think can sm start small and then grow into the whole feeling of the class. But I think we wouldn't have that strong sense of community in the class if it wasn't for that team of tutors going in there and working with these guys in these smaller settings uh, to really make sure that they are getting the kind of feedback that they need to become successful. Peter, do you ever have moments in working with, you know, incarcerated folks where you go, um, this person shouldn't be in here, or this person needs needs help to a greater extent than what we can provide. Do you do you get the sense that um, what you all are doing is up against a, a larger system that is not working in the best interest of the the community you all are hoping to help succeed? And and what do you all do with kind of the weight of both? Um, the reality of what's working against this population and your hope that you can kind of create a, a new opportunity or a, or a different option? Uh, there hasn't, in my experience working in the program, I don't think that we've encountered a student where we where I have thought, boy, this, this person shouldn't be in here. Um, but they come from a, a lot of different places within the prison system and a lot of different levels of preparation. Um, and we do work to a certain extent with Department of Corrections to, to select students we think would be a good fit for the for the program. Uh, there are, as you know, Ali, there is a lot of trauma happening in the prisons. There's a lot of people come into the prisons with a lot of trauma. 
and incarceration doesn't help. So there are some, we have encountered some students that have expressed some interest, but they just, they're not in the spot mentally where they can participate in higher education. There's just too much going on. They're working through a, a problem or uh, they have some active trauma that's happening right then and they just need to take a break. Uh, but I, for those students, we do what we can to continue to keep them engaged even if they're not taking one of our credit bearing classes. Uh, there, the Wisconsin Prison Humanities Project and Odyssey Beyond Bars both offers, both offer um, some non-credit options for students that is pretty low, low commitment, uh, low impact. People can, uh, students can kind of dip their toe in the water of college, get to interact with a, a college level instructor, read some material and, and stay connected that way. And then, and when, when they're ready, when they have, they have the confidence to, to, and, and sort of mental peace to, uh, to tackle a credit bearing class, we're ready for them too. So we're we're trying to we're trying to create as many on ramps into this onto this program as possible. So uh, we meet people where they are and uh, help them work through some of the things they need to work through to be ready to learn. If you're just joining us, you're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. I'm talking to Kevin and Peter about the Odyssey project, um, particularly Odyssey as it works with incarcerated populations across the state of Wisconsin. So I have been in in a, a very nearby prison, um, Oak Hill. Jade has been, I want to say, you're in Racine, right, Jade? I'm going to say yes. She says yes. yes. So Jade has been in Racine. Um, how many prisons across the state of Wisconsin are you all in? And how do you decide what, what facilities um, you're going to serve? And I'm going to ask Peter because Kevin pointed at you. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. Uh, we're we're actively teaching credit bearing classes in three prisons currently. So this is Columbia Correctional, a maximum security facility in Portage. We're seeing Correctional, a medium security facility, and then Oak Hill near Madison, which is a minimum security facility. Uh, we do some work also in Green Bay Correctional. We have taught credit bearing classes there in the past. We had to suspend programming there for a time because Green Bay Correctional as a facility is going through some pretty deep struggles with their staffing and other things that have been in the news. So we had to interrupt there as heartbreaking as that was because I think the need for education there is profound. Uh, we, are, we are currently looking at other facilities. Uh, we have uh, a partnership with UW Parkside to be teaching at Racine Correctional. So we are looking to establish other partnerships with other UWs around the state that are locally close to uh, um, prisons in their regions. Uh, so for example, UW-Stout, UW-Eau Claire, uh, we've been visiting uh, Stanley Correctional about three hours up north um, to explore some options there. There is strong, strong, strong interest also in doing something in women's facility. So we're looking at, at Taichita is the main women's institution uh, it's a little far for, from Madison. It's about an hour and 40 minutes from Madison. So there again, we would be looking for a UW um, University uh, there close, uh, closer to Taichita to, to partner with. Well, I would definitely drive to Taichita. Um, and it's really exciting to hear that you all are, are going to include incarcerated women, because I do think Often we, we, when we talk about incarceration, I think we like to think of adult men. And I think in part it's because it's a group that is easier for us to be less sensitive to. But we incarcerate women and we incarcerate children in our society. You can be tried as an adult in the state of Wisconsin at the age of 10 years old. Um, and I think that that's, that's an important thing to talk about. And I wanna aim this question at both of you, but I am gonna start with you, Kevin, this time, which is, you know, uh, I, I think a lot of times when people think about incarcerated adults, somebody who spent, you know, a decade of their life behind bars, um, I think folks might think, isn't it kind of too late? Why, why don't you all work with juvenile populations? Why don't you all work with young people and try to get ahead of, of the, the, you know, ahead of somebody spending the majority of their adult life in, in, in an incarcerated setting? Um, talk, talk a little bit about 
what it would look like to work in in juvenile incarceration in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I, I said earlier, the state of Wisconsin is about 6% African-American. Our prison system is about 40% African-American. Our juvenile incarceration system is about 80 or 90% African-American. Um, so it is even more racist and disproportionately Black than the adult setting. Kevin, yeah. what are you going to do about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, just you wait there, Ali. No, uh, uh I want to say one thing real quick first. You asked the question of whether or not it would be too late. And I am of the firm belief that it is never too late to engage with education and to grow as an individual. I just don't think it's ever too late. We had a student in our class, uh, I think two years ago, uh, Robert Taliaferro, who has spent decades behind bars. Um, when he got out, he had taken uh, courses, every everything he could take in, in his years of incarceration, and they cobbled together into almost a degree. Um, but when he got out, the first thing he did was enroll at Metro State University in, in the Twin Cities where he's from. He graduated. He was, uh, I don't know if he was valedictorian or not, but he had to do a commencement speech for the entire graduating class. He then right away turned around and applied for graduate school. And this guy's in his you know early to mid-60s. And he um, is now working on a master's, which with a with a focus on adult education, specifically around incarcerated individuals. So he wants to go forward and make gigantic impacts on the society around him. So I don't think I really don't think it's ever played. Plus, we have we have students in our community class in in, um, in Madison as well who are in their 60s and 70s. And I see the impact that these kinds of classes can make on people. Um, regardless of age. So I just wanted to get that out there. But in terms of uh, working with, with youth, I think that stuff around, for example, around storytelling can be incredibly powerful to get students of any age to take the kind of chaos of experience that they've gone through and pour it into the structure of a narrative. It's a clarifying process, right? It helps you see things in a more, you see how things fit together, right? And that just that act of, of narrativizing that kind of experience can have a lifelong impact on people. So I think doing, you know, doing work around the arts and the humanities and, and enrichment for younger folks who are just now getting caught up in that system, I think would make a huge impact on, on that individual's life. So I don't know how we're going to solve all of those problems, but I would love to continue to work towards doing that. Oh, I, I greatly appreciate that. And I would love to work towards that with you. And so would Jade. She has also volunteered to drive an hour and 40 minutes away to go to the women's prison when you all get that started. So you well, heard- can, I, can I jump in on one thing real quick? Um, Absolutely. So I, I had this semester alone, I had two people in my class, they have to write a research editorial where they have to pick a social issue that they want to engage with, do some research in a pretty limited way because they don't have access to the internet. So we have to kind of create a, a pseudo database. Uh, but I had two students who wrote about uh, the importance of paying more attention to women's prisons in this state, right? Because they have family and friends and people that they really care about who are in uh, Tai Chi or in different institutions across the state. And there is a huge desire, even from the male prisoners that we've worked with, for there to be more educational opportunities in women's prisons in Wisconsin. So I just wanted to toss it out there that even the guys in my class are fully aware that that needs more attention. Okay, let's let's talk about this feminism that's happening in this men's prison. Peter, I, I want to ask you, before you started doing this, did you know incarcerated people? Did you have incarcerated friends? Um, was, car was incarceration something you thought about regularly and impacted your life? Or was, was this kind of an eye-opening experience for you? Growing up, no. I, I was fortunate that uh, neither I nor any of my close family members had experienced incarceration. Uh, I did have the sense I'm Latino. I grew up in an all-white neighborhood in a largely white city uh, in Ohio. And so I did have the, the sense of marginalization growing up, um, but never had any experience in the prison system. I, uh, I went to law school, my early, if you'll indulge me for just a moment, my, <laughs> my, early, my early career was in environmental advocacy. And I went to law school thinking I was going to do environmental law. And I uh, became interested in an innocence project there that was a legal clinic that worked on uh, cases in, involving people who claimed they'd been wrongfully convicted of a crime and uh, thought that it was interesting. I'm not sure it necessarily resonated with anything in my experience, but I thought it was interesting. 
And so I signed up to do the clinic, uh, began doing some uh, research on different cases, uh, started working on a wrongful convictions case under the supervision of a professor, which was really exciting. And then I went uh, near the end of that year, I went on my first prison visit and it changed my life. I was um, frankly embarrassed that I had no knowledge of prisons before going on that prison visit. I didn't, I hadn't thought it my business to know anything about prisons or who was living in there or why we incarcerate people. It took me actually walking into the prison and getting in the fence and sitting down with someone face to face uh, whose case I'd been working on for a long time, but it still hadn't really registered that this was a person in prison. It took me actually physically being in the prison for the light bulb to go off that, oh my God, I can't believe this place exists and we should be doing a better job at um, making sure that it's offering people inside everything that it can. Um, and uh, from that, that point, I started working in prisons more regularly doing innocence work. And I became acquainted with a program in Seattle called University Beyond Bars, which brought UW professors and Seattle Central College professors into the prison system. And I thought, well, this is pretty darn cool. <laughs> and, uh, and learned a little bit more about that program, what it was doing for folks inside. Uh, and so that's what spawned the idea of doing more um, here with the Odyssey Project at UW-Madison. I think that that's like such an important story because I think for so many people who are like, I've never known anybody in prison. I've never been in a prison. Um, I do think like there's something about getting close to incarceration that is really eye-opening and life-changing and really makes you have a more uh, a thorough understanding of who we are as a society. We've got about a minute left and I got to be honest, I could talk to you too like forever. I have loved getting to have you all on the show. Kevin, I want to ask you our last question, which is how can folks support this work? How can folks um, show up for this work, champion this work, hear these stories? We actually have a story, so I'm going to have to bring you back and play some stories on air. Um, so stay tuned in 2024, y'all, because we'll, we'll make it happen. Kevin, how can we support you? So uh, one of the ways to support the work that Odyssey does in general and Odyssey Beyond Bars in particular is by going to our website, um, which is odyssey.wisc.edu. And you can, there's not only a, a, a way to donate, you know, kind of financially, but there's also volunteer forms where people who want to be engaged with this kind of work can let us know the skills that they would bring in and we can find we can find a way for that to happen. So there are definitely ways to do that. Also, just in your community, just being able to hear people's stories, even though you might have preconceptions about them, but really listen. That's the, the top thing you can really do. Just listen. If you want to hear a great story, our amazing producer, Jade, is going to link Danny's story to the web post. Huge shout out to Jade and John, our engineer and our producer, for making today happen. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. Stay warm, everybody. I will not climb into your telephone tree and hell no, you cannot put me on hold. It's the same recorded message you've been saying.